Welcome to Beating Cancer Daily. Beating stage four cancer for 30 years still takes my breath away every time I say it. I'm Saren, founder of the Comedy Cures Foundation, and I hope you'll join me for just a few minutes daily for the next 365 days so we may laugh, learn, maybe cry a little as we live our best days beating cancer daily together. So one of the greatest parts of doing this podcast is that I get to talk to comedians who have had some interaction with cancer, cancer diagnosis, cancer survivorship, and then we get to talk about having a comic perspective. And that's all part of hopefully me helping you learn about this powerful gift of comic perspective and how it can help not only build your resiliency, but help you just have a more joy-filled brain. The neuroplasticity about playing around in your head with comedy is so compelling and you can actually change the way you think and then change the way you act. So today I have one of my favorite Comedy Cures comedians with me, Karen Bergren. Hi, Karen. Hi, Saren. Now, let me just brag about you for a second. Karen is not only a comedian, but she's a published novelist. And I say published novelist because a lot of people have novels, but they don't let the world see them and hers are actually published. She's also a podcast host, and I had the honor of being a guest on Shut Up, Mommy's Talking, which is hilarious just by the name, right? So I want to also share with you that she coaches and teaches all about the comic perspective and developing yours and being a comedian or just using it for everyday life. So we're going to get into all of this, but Karen, thank you so much for being a huge supporter of Comedy Cures and doing our patient and caregiver programs. I love it. I love it. Anything I can do. Now, we had dinner. I got to have dinner with Karen and got to laugh a lot through this meal. And she shared with me something I didn't know. She actually had cancer. And I never knew that. And I want to understand, have you ever used it in your comedy? I haven't because I think that my act is like I'm sort of complaining about in my act. I kind of complain about every day problems like my kids or my husband or um, being called Karen <laughs> Which is a liability right now. A huge liability, but it's been great for my comedy career. Um, or Instacart. And it's kind of I I operate at that level. And I think it would feel dissonant to bring in cancer. And that's the first my first impulse. This my second impulse is that I don't really talk that much about the fact that I had cancer not because I'm a private person, but because I had stage zero melanoma. And I almost feel like I I cheated fate, you know, like I got away with something. 
And, you know, I know that so many people have cancer as such a, and like, it's so part of their life, like they're, you know, going to, they're going through chemo treatment or radiation, or they have side effects, or they've, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, there, there's real fear and anxiety. Um, their days have been affected, their appearance has been affected. And then to sort of chime in, yeah, I had cancer too, I feel is a little, it feels icky. You know what I mean? I understand. Do you, do you get it? I do. And I actually did an episode on Beating Cancer Daily called The Hierarchy of Cancer. Mm. And I talk about this situation where people will come up and apologize to me when they talk to me because they've only had stage zero or stage one cancer and they know that I had stage four cancer. And so the first thing I want to say is that you got told the same news that we did. And I'm sure when you heard that you had cancer, that was the terrifying moment. Not that it was stage zero, but just the word has a lot of charge and power to it. So just to honor the fact that you did have to go through something and just to say that you never have to apologize for only being stage zero. We're all jealous <laughs> that you were only stage zero. I'll tell you when I do bring it up, Sarah, and I bring it up when I see people uh, without sunscreen yeah. or without a cap or, um, you know, sometimes I'll even say, and I'm, an intrusive person um, like this, the way some people are, like if somebody has a dark mole or freckle, I'll say, I'm so sorry, but I need to know, did you get that checked out? I had melanoma and somebody did that to me. That's how I found out. And, um, and, and so that's when I'll bring it up. Um, and I, it's funny because I am an, a very anxious person. So when this whole thing happened, of course I was like, Oh my God. I mean, the, the level of anxiety and I had a, new, a, a very newborn baby at the time. And then I actually had another uh, squamous cell carcinoma, which I don't think is as big a deal um, right after I had my second baby. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you at the dinner that there's like some theories out there that the changes in your hormones might have might affect at least some of the skin cancers. I don't know about the other ones. Now, this is interesting because my cancer also is related to my pregnancy and they really didn't pay attention to me for six years. I went to 11 doctors. Same. They weren't looking at young women with breast cancer all those decades ago. So I actually went six years undetected, even though I presented. So were you listened to when you went? Did they take it seriously? Well, what happened is I hadn't gone, I went to a dermatologist maybe, you know, 10 years before and I had a, a per, the, the dermatologist was like, you have no moles, you're fine. So I sort of thought I was fine for life. You know, it's a good lesson, right? And I was somebody who, I love the way I look with that little son. I love that look on me. I think it's great. I mean, now it's like saying, I love the way I look when I smoke, but, um, but I, I, you know, I liked the, that appearance, you know, it sort of gave me like this, you know, vibrant appearance. And I did that. And then um, the, the mole, I couldn't see it was on the back of my tricep. And my friend 
saw it. It was, we went to take our children to the park and I was embarrassed to take off my shirt because I had arm fat. Isn't that insane? From having had a baby. And I took off my, you know, I was wearing a tank and my friend gasped and her, she's very fair. And her sister was with us and her sister, she's pointed out, she and her sister were like, you need to get that checked right away. So interestingly, I called my husband's dermatologist and I said, I'm terrified. Can I come in for an appointment? And they said, "You." it was May. They said, we have something in August. And I said, I think I have cancer. And they said, July. Okay. Then I am very fortunate that my husband's mother and father were both pathologists. So I, my mother took me to, we, we talked about the dermatologist um, that we both know. Uh, she took me to him the next day. She got an appointment. She came with me to my appointment. He looked at it. I said, is it cancer? He said, probably. He was a little spectrum so he didn't say, say it in a, in a particularly warm way. And she walked the, the biopsy to the lab. You know, it's normally, I think, like a week or something before you find out. So my mother-in-law walked the sample to the lab, and she was the person that called me to tell me, like, three days later, I was w w with my baby in the Bjorn at the Amish market in Hell's Kitchen, and she said, are you sitting down? And I said, no. And I said, but I'm okay. And she said, just letting you know, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. I mean, she was literally, nothing could have been better. And then she was the one, actually, my husband was like in the middle of a huge trial. She was the one who took me to the appointment at Memorial to have the all the margins removed and everything. He and was had, on trial as an attorney. Yeah. Not yeah, on trial. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he went to the clink for 25 years. <laughs> and um, so he, I had the baby with me. He was, th he was three months old. And literally everybody at um, at the hospital was like, is that baby okay? Like, and then my mother-in-law was like, oh, the baby's fine. It's just the mother. And they're like, okay, fine. Oh, no. <laughs> it was sort of like, it, no, but it was, you know, it. she was so good and I am a scared person. So if it had been somebody else, I might've been like letting my brain go to another place, but she was so good. And I felt you know, and every time I had an appointment at the dermatologist, I still do this. I call my friend up on the way to the appointment or on the way home from the appointment and say, thanks to you, I'm alive and I'm going for my dermatology appointment. So That's an unbelievable tradition and very comforting because you can share that you've been given good news, but that is a beautiful tradition. I want to place this within your comedy career. You said that you just had a newborn, but where were you in the realm of your comedy career at this time? Well, so interestingly, right before this whole thing happened, I had shot a pilot that was sort of like a knockoff to The View. Let me just explain if you don't know what a pilot is. It is a like a test episode to see how a show would go, whether it's a sitcom or, and then they decide the powers that be in Hollywood decide whether or not they're going to 
place an order to get more episodes of a show. So it is a really big deal in the entertainment world, but also if you are a comedian to get a pilot. This is what you work really hard for a lot of the time. So I, I shot it and actually it was kind of clear that it wasn't going to go, go anywhere. The, it was, I'll tell you why a lot of it was shot on the street, like the st stuff that I did, I was sort of like a roving mom reporter and it was kind of, it was kind of fun, but there was, the women had no chemistry with each other. It, they were trying to do something. And the only funny person on the show was Judy gold. Everyone else was like saccharine, and the makeup. I thought you were going to say the only funny person on the show is you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fine, but I wasn't. I was like the roving reporter. I wasn't the four people. Like I, it would have been great if it was four comedians, but they were trying to do the same thing as the View. Judy and, Gold is a very, very funny veteran comedian. Yeah, uh, she's great. She's inspirational too for different reasons. But so she. Um, I remember, and her, actually, her best friend, who was a comedian, Judy Toll, died of melanoma. Um, do you know her? Yes. You know her. So she died of melanoma, and Judy used to talk to me about Judy Toll a lot before I even knew I had, you know, anything, because I've been friends with Judy for a long time. And the, but the makeup people in the, uh, in the, you know, when we were getting ready to shoot, were all like, this show sucks. It's horrible. It's never going to go anywhere. Like, like they were, they, and I feel like they know, right. They've done, they were like, we know this isn't going to work. So it was kind of funny. When wait, wait, that's just really a funny idea <laughs> that, you know, they spend all this money to shoot all this. And then, you know, it goes before advertisers and it goes for TV critics. All they need to do is check in with the makeup people and then not even make the show because the makeup people are like, no, that rehearsal's terrible. This is never going to work. It's the same thing. Makeup artists with wet at weddings tell me the same thing. They know when they're doing the makeup of the bride and the hair of the groom, whether or not the marriage is going to work. That's so funny. I bet that's true. I bet that's true. So I, um, so the, uh, the, uh, it, and the reason why I'm talking, so right, this was maybe, and I think we had, um, I think we had a show right before this, my, maybe it was like a night before this experience at the zoo where my friend looked at my arm and Judy had the word melanoma in her punchline it wasn't mean-spirited or anything I can't remember what it was but it was weird like I sometimes do that weird thing where I make connections and I'm like it's weird that she made this connection and I'm getting so it was so that was what was going on and I remember I was really I was pretty busy that summer because I just had an infant and it's easier when you just have one baby, it's easy to kind of carry that baby around with you. And it was more when I had two were a change. So I remember I did another thing that summer where I was working on a public service announcement, uh, pro-choice public service announcement, because there was an election coming up um, for a, a, a cartoonist. And I remember like having to be outside and being scared of being outside. I had a real fear of being outside. And and it's funny, like my kids don't think of me as somebody who goes in the water. Like 
I used to swim all the time. And now just the whole sunscreen and putting everything on and bathing. I don't, even if it's an indoor pool, I've gotten to the point where I don't really find joy in being in a swimming pool because I equate it with vulnerability. I understand. It's interesting at that time, did you think about incorporating it into your comedy routine? Never. Never. One thing, I didn't even talk until my kid was like a year old. I really didn't do a lot of jokes about parenting. My jokes were, before I had children, my jokes were very observational. I went through a complete transformation after I had children. I don't know if something happened in my body chemistry, but I no longer was interested in doing the jokes that I did before. I didn't, it wasn't anything, it wasn't intentional. It was literally like my other jokes seemed stupid to me. They just seemed dumb and I didn't connect with them. And so my jokes were really about parenting. And, um, you know, it's not that I'm private. And again, it's a little bit of the, like, you know, when, when I meet people who've had cancer or who are going through cancer, I don't like to do that. I had that too, because it does seem so, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know. It just, it just seems wrong to me. I don't, I don't know. I get it. But I know that you, you had a very good friend who passed away from cancer. Yes. My dearest friend, I used to be a lawyer before I was a comedian and my dearest friend from law school. And in fact, when she went through her initial diagnosis, we sort of went through over and over like the mindset, you know, but then, you know, she got her way of handling. I wish she had known you because she was a very outgoing person, but she became, she retreated and she died and she, um, she retreated from her, from her friends. And it was her husband kind of, I, I don't think he was, I don't want to, cause he's a very, he's a great guy, but he honored that and didn't really tell everybody. Was I mean, I knew what was going on, but I was like, can I come stay with you? And she kept saying no. And I think she thought if I came to stay with her, it meant I was saying goodbye. And the thing is, I should have just gotten on a plane. Like now I look back on it. I'm like, I shouldn't have paid it. Like, but I was trying to be the good friend. So you didn't get an opportunity to make her laugh and use your comedy to elevate her mood? I did on the phone. We laughed all the time. Like in the beginning when she, in the beginning, you know what happened? I do think she had a couple of, um, she had a couple of situations that happened in her brain. Um, I think some of it had, uh, had spread to her brain. So there was a little bit of like, like a decline in her functioning. And, um, but in the beginning, we definitely tried to make fun and laugh and stuff like that. I mean, you know, in some ways, like the fact that I had gone through something at least gave me like it, I was a little less terrified, um, that I might have been had I not had any experience at all, you know, and I had done, I not through you, but I used to go to a memorial. Sometimes they would have shows for the patients. I think this might've been around maybe before you started or around that time. And I would do those shows for people who really, you know, a lot of them were similarly like had cognitive, uh, they had some cognitive issues because, of the spreading and because of the um, 
some of the drugs and stuff like that. So you don't always get like, it's not like people are like, yeah, wow, she's hilarious. But I think, you know, even if you have like a moment, you know, if you have a moment with somebody who's really not well, where you can take them out of that, it's a gift. Well, we just did a program together and I love telling people about it because Karen actually helped me entertain and educate 350 healthcare leaders who had gone through the whole COVID experience and were really trying to bounce back from everything that they had been through, the long hours, losing patients, and all the stresses that they took on just being in the healthcare system. And so we did an event together and it was quite crazy the way that it was situated, but Karen had to do an event where she could not see the audience and she could not hear the audience and she had to perform a comedy routine. But I have to tell you, the audience did not even realize that she was doing this without any sensory input from them. She was just so professional and so hilarious that they're still calling me and talking to me about some of the jokes that she said and her approach. And that's her unique style. When she gets on a roll and just is ranting about something that has just, you know, bothered her, it is just brilliant. And so I just want to thank you, Karen, for bringing so much joy to all of those healthcare workers. They really, and also for doing our second research study with advanced cancer patients that really elevated their mood. And the results from that study were pretty pivotal, pretty incredible. Anytime, honestly, like, you know, I do feel like we're all sort of in this together and who knows, honestly, there's a little bit like, who knows when it's going to hit you. Yeah, you know, I understand that. I mean, I find comics are the most generous with their talent and with their time. And most comics will give you the shirt off their back. And I think that's how the Comedy Cures Foundation got so much momentum so quickly is that when I threw the first chemo comedy party and then I started to go to comedy clubs and explaining to comedians that I had this vision that we would not only bring comedians into the trenches of treatment, but we would also serve caregivers and healthcare workers. But while we were entertaining, we would be teaching how to use your own comic perspective and develop that. And so if we can, I want to try to do this a little bit because you do teach comedy and you teach civilians. You don't just teach people who want to be comedians. So I'm going to throw out a real life premise and can you help me look at that and then hopefully help you listening to this? Sure thing. Okay. So I am a cancer patient. This is real. I'm a cancer patient and I have to go through surgery and radiation and chemotherapy and it does disrupt your life. So what is one thing that I could do to try to look at this real life situation differently. We call it here finding the funny. How can I find the funny in my cancer diagnosis? Okay. So when I think of, so when I talk to 
my students, I'll say something like, you know, what gets your emotions going? And sometimes it's frustration, which that could be. Sometimes it's anger, which it could be confusion, anxiety, even joy. I've had a student who was obsessed with milk and loved it. Um, but obviously frustration, rage, and confusion and worry all play into the, the setup that you just gave me. Uh, one of the things that I would think about is, um, you know, you're saying all these things that you're, that you have to undergo surgeries, tests, uh, medication, you know, it's lots of hands-on things. So immediately I start thinking of all the people involved. And then I think, you know, I should be getting paid for this because I'm giving these doctors a medical education. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is like flipping it, flipping the sort of, because what you don't want to do when you're on stage, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I didn't really bring up the melanoma because I couldn't figure out how to do it in a way that the audience wouldn't feel sorry for me. I, I mean, I could if I really worked it, but it didn't mean enough to me to do it, you know? So you don't want the audience to feel sorry for you. That's for your family, right? You want to laugh with the audience and also feel like you have a little bit of control of the situation. So I would do jokes about that. Then you want to go maybe a little bit more specific. Like, is there like one doctor that's like, you know, can you angle like, you know, for like, I don't want to get, you know, if anything happened, you know, I'm, I want to make it so that something happens on this day. So I don't get the crappy doctor. You know what I mean? Like you can go after people. You don't want to punch down. So you don't want to go after people based on, you know, sort of, you know, characteristics that they themselves have no control over. But everybody has control over whether or not they're an asshole. Am I allowed to say that? You're OK. <laughs> and um, so, you know, and there are certain doctors who are more lovely than others. You know, there are certain doctors who you feel a little better about seeing you naked. Maybe you would even want them to see you naked, right? So you kind of have that approach. You could do that approach. Um, you could, uh, you know, you could talk about sort of the schoolyard aspect. Um, if there is one in, you know, I've gone with friends to their chemo appointments and there's definitely like a, like anthropological aspect to the chemo room. Like, you know, and, and also, you know, I, and I know I'm part of this because I've gone, you know, as a comic to things, but sometimes some of the people that come in to entertain the chemo patients are really funny, <laughs> like the, you know, swishy guitarists and stuff like that. You know, I just, I think there's a lot that you can do that's not, um, that's, that's not woe is me. You know, so I, I want to interrupt you for a second because I literally was doing everything possible not to interrupt by cracking up at what you were saying. And what I find so brilliant is that in just a few moments, you took the pain out of the cancer experience and actually took us outside of ourselves. And then from a 360 view, showed how you could be processing 
being in this cancer experience, this ecosystem from all different viewpoints where you're not at the epicenter of it, but you're actually looking at everybody else around you. So you're heightening our awareness. And what was so cool was that everything that you were mentioning was completely authentic and very, very, very funny. And not only could you do one joke about it, but you could literally put an entire set together on each thing that you were pointing towards. And what we try to do here is release the stranglehold, the terrifying stranglehold that cancer can have on you and actually start to put air in the space and thinking about the bumbling doctor or thinking about the 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 sexy doctor those those things are all real we do have doctors i wrote a joke about having an appointment with an oncologist and having that feel like a date because the guy was so you know so handsome but it's it's the air and the light that you just infused into this conversation so quickly, it just shows how fast your mind works comedically because she did not know that I was going to do this. She had no idea, but that's how you build the resiliency because you start training your mind to think comedically. And then when things do hit you out of left field, instead of going deep into the fear, depression, drama, and anxiety, you actually have a minute to laugh in your own mind and then take a breath and recenter. And Karen, you just did that for all of us. Great. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> We're going to have people all over the world who sit down and write comedy routines now based on their cancer journey. Great. With It does. It's very helpful. I mean, it, you know, you hear stories about people who are in the concentration camps, like making jokes to each other. It's called gallows humor because yeah. of the gallows where you would get hung and just this weird, bizarre humor that comes out when you're under that kind of stress or life threatening. And we call it a comedy cures tumor humor. And what Karen just did was give us so many ways very quickly to look at our cancer journey and create our own tumor humor based on the way she was looking back at the cancer journey, not only as someone who had been diagnosed, but being a survivor and also as a caregiver of somebody going through cancer. I, I also want to just uh, uh, like correct something I said, because I said, you know, you don't want people to be, feel sorry for you. If you have crippling anxiety and you don't want to, quote, take power over everything, make fun of your anxiety. You know what I mean? Like everyone, like anxiety is now, I, I think there may be like one person in the world who doesn't have anxiety and, and the person has to be a moron, right? <laughs> they don't know how horrible the world is. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There are so many stressors. Yeah. And, and so anxiety is something we can all relate to. And it can, comedy can really, I am an, a very anxious person just by nature. And, you know, I like the cancer thing played right into that. 
So if you can figure out a way to like mock your anxiety and like you could even talk about like you, you know, if you don't want to sort of go into it with the cancer, you could say like, you know, why did I have cancer? I was somebody who got anxious about like tying my shoes. You know, do you know what I mean? Like that sort of <laughs> You know, so we did the research study and we showed that using the strategies that we teach through Comedy Cures actually reduced the anxiety, depression, stress, and created self-empowerment for stage three and stage four cancer patients. So what Karen is teaching and what we are talking about is really an unbelievable way to cope with what life throws at you. Karen, will you promise to come back to Beating Cancer Daily and continue this conversation? I would love to. And, you know, if people want to listen to our funny podcast, because it it it's not, it, you know, some, some of the stuff is silly. Some of the stuff is serious. We talked to you yesterday. We talked to people about trauma. Um, Shut up, mommy's talking is like a good way to get you out of stuff. Um, and also people want to contact me on Facebook or Instagram and want to run a joke by me. I'm happy, happy, happy to look at it. I mean, I do this for a living. So I, I'm happy to do that. I think you're going to get bombarded, Karen. I, <laughs> I know that I can't wait to talk to her more about this. So if you go to comedycures.org and hit the record button, tell us your joke. I will forward it to Karen. You can actually record it on our record line at the comedycures.org website. Or you can just send it in writing to Comedy Cures. Just go to the contact button and hit that. And if you want to really get in touch with Karen, if you email us through the website, comedycures.org, I will send you her signature and you can just continue the relationship from there. You can also find Shut Up Mommy's Talking on all podcast platforms. We did do an episode together yesterday, but Karen has lots of guests and her co-host Kyle is just a lot of fun too. And go see Karen perform when she's performing because it is so funny. It's such a release. It's just a cathartic release for her and a cathartic release for us. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you. I love this. Good luck. Have a blessed day. And I'll see you tomorrow. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I'd love to ask for you to go to comedycures.org and check out our membership circle levels. You will find even more resources and more programming like our live virtual Q&A sessions with me, our live Comedy Cures events with our very talented comedians, live health builder workshops with Jackie Bryan hosted by me, a robust monthly newsletter, plus much more. It's really an exciting community. So please consider becoming a member, giving it as a gift, telling your friends, telling your hospital support group all about this community. I can't think of a more empowering way to go through a cancer journey or your survivorship or your caregiving experience than with us at Beating Cancer Daily. It's truly an honor to serve you. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow.
Guess what time it is? It's time for me to read the disclaimer. Beating Cancer Daily and the Membership Circle are not in lieu of medical advice or treatment. They are for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare team to review your best strategy. Thanks for listening.